again, thanks to Cry Malt, this is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, confidant, and all-round great beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. Can I just point out too, I've just noticed something. What's that? Going, oh, I was a bit of an English student. Um, it was one of, my, one of my stronger suits at school, from primary school right through. And we were always told back then, never begin a sentence with a conjunction like but or and. We do. We we start the whole paragraph. We start the whole story every week with and. Well, I know it's only a small thing. Has that changed though? Can somebody can one of the listeners perhaps let us know? Is it okay now to start with with conjunctions? Was that was that just you know Sister Margaret Mary who gave me a whack over the knuckles with the ruler for beginning a sentence with and or but? Do I now owe her a few? In I'm, ret- I'm sh- retrospectively, I, I, I'm sure that is strictly technically correct. Um, but it's one of those things. I, I always work on the basis that if the message is clear, then you've communicated well. Um, and I always remember the words of uh, Winston uh, Churchill, who, uh, what was it, about split infinitives? Um, that is something up with which I will not put. Exactly. Um, so, you know, it, it, it can be clunky. But actually, and speaking of grammar, there's one of those things going at the moment. Uh, I, I don't know whether you've seen, uh, and I've got to do some digging, but... There's been a thing out recently that Pure Blonde from CUB has 90% or 80% less carbs. Um, Rather than fewer. Yeah. So, And I've always taught that when it's something like, when it's a you know, measurable amount. A number amount, versus an amount. Yes. It's, it's, it's fewer carbs. Um, yeah. So the amount of people who less. get that wrong. Yes. Because it should be <laughs> yes. the number of people who get that wrong. Yeah. Yes. I wish, I wish less people would get it wrong. Yes. But, um, but uh, yeah. So anyway, that, that, that's our grammar lesson. Uh, Maybe maybe, obviously... maybe from uh, from next episode we might include just to just to balance it out just for in case there are any grammar Nazis out there we'll, we'll do a little like a, a beer word of the week I'll start doing some research and perhaps we can get like an interesting word or phrase or something like that that we can uh, that we can incorporate <laughs> into each episode that will make up for our appalling lack of um, consideration for correct grammar in the beginning. Rowley Sussex's word of the day they have up here on ABC Radio. He's a professor of language, and uh, yes, he uh, he did, does something similar. I think that's a great idea, Prof. And uh, perhaps I could suggest your first one. Go on. Handcrafted. Handcrafted. Yes. As in made by hand. As in made by hand. Yes. I. Uh, it, it, it's one of those things that's been a bit of a bugbear. You know, like the whole craft brewing. Um, so does that mean like know? we can't technically you can't put any beer that is labelled handcrafted? can never touch the inside of a stainless steel tank or a, a wooden vat. Well, well no, what does it mean? I mean, it, it, it's one of those things that... Well, you can't use a mash paddle, you have to use your hand. Yeah, but, but, but how many brewers do you actually see out stirring, you know, hand-crafting their beer? You know, it's, it's all mechanised bottling lines. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of research at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm doing a book on Australian beer history, and uh, I'm doing a lot of research about it, and... It, it, it's fascinating to see that you know, we've got this idea that craft brewers of today, you know, who we love and are making fantastic beer, but are invoking you know, brewing techniques and brewing you know, uh, methods of, of yesteryear when never in human history have brewers ever brewed the way that even the smallest craft brewer is brewing uh, today, you know, w- 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 with the same level of automation and the same level of control and the same level of, you know, exactness that they can to make their beers, you know, a- as similar as they can, um, you know, a- allowing for difference in ingredients and those sorts of things. The, the-, the idea is that the- you- you're taking the process out of-, of the brewing and showing the, you know, 
in ingredients and you know, bringing the, the flavor of the ingredients out. So this, this whole idea that our beers are handcrafted in the idea of yesteryear, um, maybe that's something you could uh, start, or have I done that for you already? Let's consider that one done. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. I'll think of, I'll think of one for next week. But, but do, do, do you take my point there? Yeah, do, that, do you that could be a whole episode, really, couldn't it? Because the, the conventions of naming in terms of things like, um, you know, artisan or, um, you know, boutique or micro, all those sorts of uh, descriptors that we, we have used in the past have really been to evoke images of, of what we're creating is not rather than what it is. So, so we've, we've tried to differentiate from um, mass-produced, um, you know, factory-level industrial beer, that's, if you like. It, 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 and that's it. Mate, you always put it much more, uh, more tightly than I do, and, and that's exactly right. You know, craft brewing is a rebellion against what was going on before, what we'd seen as a very homogenised beer market. And, and, and that's well and good um, when brewers are small and you're actually projecting something. But, you know, w w when you read about the size of Sierra Nevada these days and, you know, how how big they are and, you know, they're in a constant process to try and more efficiently uh, make more beer. Um, and it's, incidentally, that is exactly the process that led to the modern in industrialised beers that, uh, you know, pe people like, like to toss off yeah, against you know, yeah, exactly. admittedly um sierra nevada are, are maintaining the, the beers that they you know the, the beer styles and flavor but they're, they're still trying to make those far more efficiently and also to respond to a, a growing demand for their product which when you which when you create something that is is um is desirable is going to happen but you don't you lose the notion that it's then craft or artisanal when you start bringing in and, and you know, god you, you can't think of a much more modern um you know scientific in you know dare i say industrial brewery um but they're using all of those to make beers that have, have a you know a, a different flavor to the to the modern yeah. uh, mainstream lagers i think but, i think though when you when you balance that out with against uh you know growing your own hops and growing your own malts and um all those sorts of um water saving techniques and and uh rainwater capture that that sierra nevada have implemented over the decades i think that kind of you it's not one arm of your business outgrowing the boutique or artisanal or you know small handcrafted label it's all kind of just growing organically no and and, and that's very true and um but you know again to, to use a Example here, you, you've got the fantastic guys at um, Mountain Goat, trophy winners, um, you know, best beer in Australia at the AIBA this year, and they're brewing in, you know, like one, one of the largest uh, breweries in, in in the country. That's, you know, I think, uh, Labadon's 250 hectolitres, um, 250, yeah. Yeah, something uh, like that, yeah, it's big. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you start sort of getting out of that idea that it's artisanal or craft and, you know, and it... I mean, even microbrewing isn't really the, um, the, the the name for it these days. But how how do we grow? How do we cope with the growth or cope with the growth of you know our small beloved breweries as they grow and you know still have a nomenclature that accurately describes what they do that sets them apart, or does it? You know, do they just become part of the uh, you know as we've talked about before? Is it just good beer? And you know, it's yeah. the, the 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 beer that I like. As a with a brewing philosophy and a you know a, a political background that I support, 
um, as opposed to notions of craft or hand, you know, handcrafted um, or microbrewing. I think at the end of the day, it's you either decide that too much of a good thing is bad, or there's no such thing as too much of a good thing. No, look, I, uh, well, I don't know. I agree with you there either, Prof, because there, there is a, um, you know, the the history of brewing has been about trying to control nature um, with science, you know, and you know, to the magic and the nature, um, where does that end? Um, and where does, you know, the, the magic and the art and the nature and where does the science and the, you know, in, in industry begin? It, it, it's, for, for me, it's like anything. There is just a huge continuum. We won't talk about 50 shades of grey, but, um, you know, the, the, the shades of grey, but there is a huge continuum and everyone draws a point um, at which they will not cross, um, and, and and that's their point of difference, you know. I, I'm not going to sort of go to using tetra hops, for example. I'm not going to use, you know, whatever. Um, but a lot of them are artificial divides. Um, but you know, the, the, it, it's something that sort of marks you out as being the the point that you won't go beyond. Listeners may have noticed that um, James Atkinson, our new um, editor, is uh, after we do one of these podcasts, writes a bit of a, an article. Matt, are you trying to pepper the article? <laughs> References to Fifty Shades of Grey, just so that James will go, hang on, how did I miss that? I better include no, a line about that. No, no, in fact, this this has been a whole 10-minute uh, diversion that we would not, not planned on on doing, but uh, you, you started by talking about brewing terms. That I did, because to... I just wanted to be spontaneous. I know listeners might not know, but we Matt and I sit together for 10 minutes or so working out, you know, what we're going to talk about. And, and, and so there is actually some, you know, even if it's a, a minute um, element of planning that goes into Radio Brews News each week. Um, but sometimes I like to just go, oh, never noticed that before. And I'll just, you know, just kick into something just to just to make it a bit candid and spontaneous and off the cuff. And that's what you end up with. That's what you end up with. And yeah, but it, it, it's one of those things that fascinates me, Prof. But, but before we uh, sort of to go further down the rabbit hole, we might uh, introduce our first guests. And uh, last night, uh, today is Thursday, the what, the seventeenth of sixteenth of uh, July. Um, last night uh, on the Wednesday, the boys from Pirate Life, uh, South Australia's uh, relatively new uh, Pirate Life Brewing, were in town launching their range of beers. And uh, I caught up with uh, Michael and Jack Cameron. And uh, Michael's the uh, father figure. Yeah, um, father figure, and he's in fact Jack's father, um, and then Brewer Red, um, and uh, we caught up with them and talked a little bit about you know, the, the history of uh, pirate life and uh, their approach to brewing. Yeah, thanks. We, uh, I've probably been in the industry for 30 years in one shape or form, but uh, in 2005 uh, uh, I took my family to the US and built a restaurant in San Diego. Uh, at that restaurant uh, we served Cooper's uh, Bogues, Little Creatures, we did a fair bit with uh, Blue Tongue in its early day and also we had uh, a little bit of Han Super Dry. Uh, but at that time we became pretty close to the Coopers family and they offered me the role as National Sales Manager for Coopers, uh, which I did for the following three and a half years. Uh, and about a month into that journey uh, we picked up the import rights for BrewDog uh, and that was early in 2008. Uh, BrewDog commenced their business in March of 2007, so it was uh, in the very early stages of BrewDog and uh, we had a terrific time with the boys uh, travelling America, talking craft beer and uh, getting, a real, getting really immersed in the craft beer scene in the US and it was uh, a great learning journey for us uh, and uh, it sort of uh, allowed me to get a real picture of where the industry can go uh, and where, it, uh, you know, it's where it's got to today in 2015. 
How are the Australian beers uh, re regarded in, in, in the US? It's obviously a long time since the days of Crocodile Dundee where anything Australian uh, had a sort of a, an acceptance. Um, you know, Cooper's, Han Super Dry, there's a bit of a mix of uh, flavours there. How did they go down? They were all pretty well received. We uh, we didn't have any trouble selling them at all. They, uh, there was a, as you know, in America, the the range of uh, what I call normal normal beers, industry beers through to the craft beers. We fitted into that program pretty well, and that sort of probably leads me on to the journey as how uh, how Jack uh, first got involved with brewing at the uh, end of his high school uh, years. He didn't want to go to college, and we weren't sure how long we we're going to stay in America for. So uh, I rang the boys at Brewdog and said, uh, "Hey guys, do you need a?" Uh, guy to work on the canning line or sweep the floors or do whatever, uh, can I send Jack up there for three months? And uh, after he had a wonderful tour of Europe for about eight weeks, he, he landed in uh, Fraserburgh uh, and started as a bit of a lackey for the, the Brewdog guys. And uh, coincidentally enough, uh, Red turned up there about eight weeks later. So uh, uh, there were two young West Australian guys working at Brewdog at the same time. So that was the start of their brewing journey. And uh, uh, Jack ended up being offered a full-time job, uh, Red as well. Uh, and it was a fantastic experience for them to, to work with Martin and James uh, at the, you know, the very early stages of where uh, you know, Brewdog, uh, Brewdog began and uh, we all know where they've, uh, where they've ended up. We might go to you, Jack. Uh, tell us a little bit, what was it like? Did, did you brew before you got to Brewdog? Uh, no. I was drinking Cool's Light and Bud really living in America as a high school student. <laughs> as a high school student? Is, is that something that we should uh, delete from the podcast? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so, so you turn up on to, to work on the canning line, or to the, the brewing line. Um, how, how did you progress? Uh, was it, did you decide that that was where you wanted to be? Yeah, actually within probably two months of being there, two or three months of being there, I called the, called the old man and said I actually want to I want to own my own brewery by the time I'm 25. Um, so the second I started in the beer industry, I absolutely loved it and knew what, it's what I was going to do for the rest of my life, really. And now you've got your own brewery. How old are you now? Turned 24 in February, so I was a couple of years ahead of expectations. <laughs> so you're getting ahead of goals. Yeah. but. Uh, <laughs> Michael, you, you, you've seen the American craft brewing industry um, from a distributor's side. Uh, what, what, what are your observations? Uh, you, you were there through a very dynamic, um, explosive period of, of the U.S. craft brewing scene. Yeah, it was, was, it was, it was you know, fantastic. And I think what I'm really pleased to say in, in seeing where we are in Australia today is that uh, some of the beers coming out of Australia uh, well and truly match the quality of what's happening in the US. We've got some fantastic brewers here, we've got some fantastic brewing companies and I think uh, you know, we, in, when I was working in the US the, the, the market share of craft beer was about 6%, uh, now it's up to 14 uh, right, here, right now in Australia we're about 4 uh, they predict that the, uh, the market share will be about 8 at the end of 2017, uh, early 2018 so I think there's a, a certainly a, a good groundswell of great brewers here in Australia, some really good talent and they're making some fantastic beers. We're seeing a lot of growth uh, in the craft uh, brewing industry, obviously it, it's a big expense to get into um, and you guys haven't started with a small 600 litre uh, brewery, you've, you've gone for a 25 hectolitre brewery uh, to start with, you've obviously made a, you know, a fairly big confident play into the craft brewing scene. Yeah, well, it, it, it's all built around the, the what I call the talent of uh, Jack and Red. Um, I've uh, obviously known both of I've known Jack for a long while, but Red uh, uh, ever since he started at Brewdog, I uh, always understand that not only his passion for brewing but his talent. And it was about uh, 18 months ago I sat down with a, a friend of mine and we started talking about Jack's dream of having, having a brewery by the time he's 25 and. Uh, 
and the, the core of what we're trying to do is build a brewery around two, two young guys that actually had some brewing talent. Um, so we put a business plan together and uh, raised some uh, investment funds and uh, decided to um, you know, build our brewery in Adelaide, which we can talk about a bit in a moment. But it was really about the talent of, of Jack and Red. I think, uh, you know, uh, without doubt, their experience at... Uh, their experience at Brewdog, uh, work, working with Martin, who I, I believe is one of the most talented brew, brewers in the world, uh, and then coming back and uh, with Red going down to set up Cheeky Monkey from, you know, from dirt through to uh, to opening, uh, gave him a very good understanding of what is needed to build a brewery, uh, and developing his own recipes there, and uh, and also you know becoming a, a very key player in that very successful business, uh, and Jack then going back to Creatures and having three and a half years uh, as a brewer at Creatures, and I think. Uh, yeah, that gave him a collective 13 years experience, 13 or 14 years collective experience in brewing, uh, which allowed us to have the faith in uh, in building you know, the size of brewery we did and, and putting the business plan together you know, to forecast where we want to go to. Now, Red, coming to you, how did you come to be involved in brewing? We've heard a little bit about your experience through Cheeky Monkey and uh, Brewdog. What was your, you know, how did you discover brewing in the first place? Well, I've, um, I started drinking Little Creatures probably when they first opened. Um, I turned 18 um, in 01, and I think Creatures opened late 2000, so I started drinking kind of much better beer very early on, um, when all my mates were drinking Swan Draft. Um, so I've always had my eye on, on craft brewing. Um, I probably wanted to be a winemaker quite early on. I loved wine when I was 18, um, good quality wine, and then... Um, Went away and did some work and some study and else, other kind of directions, and then um, um, moved to Mug River um, and became quite good friends with um, Jeremy Good at Climate Brewing um, Company. And um, he kind of became my mentor a little bit. Um, so I owe a lot to Jeremy, and I started talking to him, saying, you know, how did you get into brewing and, and why, and why did you leave until you're kind of 40 years old? And um, um, he said, oh, he didn't know about it. And um, yeah, he's working a good, good job. And, he got to know Brendan um, from Feral pretty well. Um, started helping him out on the weekend and um, doing his study. And um, he was doing an IBD course, I think, um, foundations in um, brewing and packaging. And so I thought, well, I'll, um, I'll study the same kind of course. It's got, it's got Jeremy to where he is now. Um, so I started studying that. And halfway through the study, um, I had the um, exam um, book for, for May the year after. And um, um, uh, I started, yeah, Brewdog released their um, uh, tactical nuclear penguin, and so I'd, I'd had a few of their beers before, and I, I had a look at their um, their website, and it was pretty pretty fun and pretty interesting. They had their video blogs and stuff like that, um, especially for the um, for the penguin beer, and um, a bit more digging around through the um, through the website, and it said brewer brewer wanted, and I thought no chance at all, um, but might as well have a crack. Um, if you don't ask, you don't get. So I um, sent off an email to um, to James few emails back and forth and he said look Martin's going to be in um, in Perth for the next two weeks um, so I was away working in Albany um, my office is back in Perth and so I said well I can meet up with him Christmas Eve at Little Creatures um, so caught up with him had a couple of um, pints of Rogers and um, yeah got me over the line and he said look pack your bags and coming over if you want and so um, yeah two months later I um Packed the bags. Um, my, my last day at work, my uh, my boss dropped me off at the airport um, at about two o'clock in the afternoon, and away to um, Brewdog I went. So it was um, it was pretty 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 exciting times back then. It, it sounds like you've had a great 
grounding in terms of the breweries you both worked at, and the, one of the things that strikes me about Pirate Life is the strong branding. The, you know, it, it's got a lot of character. It's got something that's a little bit, uh, you know, sort of non-conformist about it, but it's still sort of a very well thought through, well executed, uh, you know, marketing identity that you've got, which is something that's a hallmark of BrewDog. They market themselves as beer for punks, and yet they uh, have a very big, um, well run, uh, something that's very corporate and not, you know, punk about them um, in, in saying that. Um, do, do you think that it's important that you have that understanding of the business and the brand and the, the, you know, some of those aspects and not just the brewing? It does. Um, I mean, we've got a pretty good, pretty good eye collectively for, um, for, for our presence and our, our design. Um, we've got a good um, uh, lass down in uh, Melbourne that, that does a lot of design for us, but you know, we need to drive in the right direction um, pretty, pretty clearly. Um, so as far as the design goes, um, you know, we, we're able to bounce thoughts around um, I've got a pretty good eye of how I, I, I see things sit, and uh, the other guys do as well. Um, having Lauren to kind of tie that in together is um, pretty handy. But the, also the um, the business side of it as well. That's that's um, quite important, uh, very important. Um, you know, if you're not good at the business side of it, then um, you're going to be you know drowning um, pretty quickly. Uh, Michael, you talked about uh, you had a background in hospitality, and uh, you know, one of the things that we're seeing is. The, the days of the guys starting you know, in, in, in the back shed with some uh, recycled milk equipment um, is gone. That it, it, that it is a business. Have you brought much of that business uh, now to the to the uh, startup? Yeah, I think there's a, a combination of um, the boys' great experience, and uh, we've got a, a, a couple of business partners, and particularly my, my good mate who, uh, Tony Dale, who uh, we started working with. Um, you know, Tony's uh, been in manufacturing businesses for the last 30 years of, of a, a high. Uh, high size, um, and he um, he brings an element of experience to the table, uh, which has been very helpful. Uh, his, uh, his his knowledge of um, you know corporate behaviour, uh, particularly when you're dealing with shareholders and uh, planning and making sure that you've got your forecasts and budgets done correctly, and you understand uh, all the cost structures of the business. Um, you you can account for um, you can account for for various, uh, you know, for all facets of what's going on in the business, not only production, it's, it is marketing, it is looking after the finance, it is looking after the, the well-being of um, your staff, uh, it's looking after having a vision for the future and, and as long as that forward planning is done and uh, everybody agrees to the, okay, this is, this is our package and this is where we're taking this package, I think if you've got those things in place, uh, it's a lot more than just being able to brew a beer. And Jack, talking of beer, um, what was the inspiration for the, you, you've launched with three beers, um, a Session IPA, an Australian Pale Ale and a Double IPA. Um, talk, talk us through your thinking in developing those three beers. Um, me and Reed are both hopheads, learning to brew beer up at BrewDog, we learnt hops, hops and hops and that's what we love to brew, what we love to drink, so we thought we'd start off with three pretty heavy hopped beers, just to kind of, that's what, that's what it, pirate life is. Um, so the Session IPA, I mean it's Sometimes you've got to be sensible, sometimes you've got to drive, but there's a lack, there's probably a lack in the market for a, quite a flavoursome mid-strength beer with a nice hop hit. So that's where we wanted to go with that direction. Um, and then the American Pale Ale, 5.4%, that's our go-to beer, our day-to-day -day beer, big West Coast style. That's what inspired us, well, inspires me and probably Red, I could say, that that's the beers that inspired us to become brewers. You know, we drank that for years and um, wanted to make a beer that can fit, could stand up in San Diego with some of the best beers in the world and on a bar there. And then the next level up, the double IPA, um, big ballsy hoppy monster that we can uh, sit back and enjoy a few of and have a good night really. <laughs> 
we, we've recently seen on Australian Brews News we reported that uh, CUB has sort of uh, re-looked at their entire craft portfolio. They're putting a lot of weight on Fat Yak and they've even brought out a, what you'd call it a younger brother or a smaller version of Fat Yak uh, as an Australian pale ale. And they, you know, they, they did that saying that there's only ever going to be a limited market for highly hopped beers. Mm. Um, do you guys see that as a, you know, as something to worry you with, with your um, lineup of beers or have they essentially left you uh, to, a, to a very big niche that you guys can develop? Yeah, I don't think it's a problem. There's a lot of people out there that aren't drinking hopped beers yet, so when they find them, they are, in our opinion, they're going to enjoy them thoroughly, I think. I think it's still, it boils down to that 4% of the market. You know, we, we were all, once upon a time, drinkers of Carlton Draft and VB and Tui's New, and, and you, you have that aha moment in, in, the, in the world that says, hey, this is, I'm all of a sudden understand craft beer and want to get really in, in, immersed in it. And I think, you know, the answer to your question is we're still 4% of the market, we've got a long way to go, so I don't think there's an issue there. Where do you think the growth will come uh, in, in, in brewing terms? For uh, you know, we, we see uh, Mountain Goat recently. They had a, an IPA that they bottled. They've announced that they're going to sort of uh, stop packaging that, and they've seen big growth in their steam ale and their summer ale. Uh, one of the, the biggest independent craft brewery in Australia is probably Stone and Wood. Their Pacific ale is a very you know approachable, um, significantly lighter than your 5.4% um, pale ale. Do you see that there is still plenty of room? for growth in that market that you're looking at or is the growth going to be you know that, that golden ale Kolsch um, slightly gentler style I think there's opportunity for growth in both areas and it, it boils that back to the percentage game again there, there is no doubt that the, the breweries you mentioned uh, terrific breweries making great beer and they've got, they've got their niche in the market uh, our niche in the market I think will be more on the flavoursome side of things um, on the, on the <coughs> on the flavoursome side of things uh, to keep pushing forward uh, with bold, boisterous flavours. Uh, so I think you know, that's the direction we want to go. You know, we will make our saison and uh, we, we might make a hoppy lager and we, you know, we might make an IPA. Uh, but it's just a matter of working through that process and uh, our direction will be our direction and, and they'll head in their direction. I think there's room for both. You guys are, you know, it wouldn't be fair to say that you're a big brewery because you're small by traditional brewery standards, but you're still one of the larger startups we've seen in the last few years. Even at your sort of comparative size, how hard is it to make beers of a quality that they can hold up? We're here in Brisbane. I should stand. We're here in Brisbane at the Bloodhound Bar. You're announcing your distribution into Queensland. You're a South Australian brewery that is now sort of. Uh, getting your beer out across the country. How hard is it for a brewery of your size to make beer that travels um, to the far-flung corners of, uh, of, of Australia? Well, I think I'll, I'll hand this over to Red in a sec, but I think the, the, the fact that we chose to put our beer in kegs and cans uh, plays a big role in that. I think uh, from a packaging point of view, um, cans certainly uh, present beer in a, uh, in a much or preserve beer in a much fresher manner, and, and that is seen by the fact that there's such global growth in, in canned beers. Uh, but we also uh, refrigerate uh, our beers from the moment they leave the brewery uh, through to our warehousing, through to uh, distribution to the, uh, the pubs and uh, bottle shops. So I think those two issues uh, play a, a, a pretty major role. Um, I think uh, the other side of it is just uh, making sure, and I, I learned a lesson from uh, Greg at Stone Brewing in San Diego, he said never, never, sell, never sell too much to a pub or a liquor store so that they end up having beer sitting on the shelves. Just sell them enough to get them through that week or the next week and then 
you know, get them to order on a weekly basis, basis rather than a monthly basis, so that you've you've got a consistency of uh, you know of uh, fresh stock there all the time. It's interesting that you uh, invoked the name of Greg Cook, who's somebody that we've spoken to on the on the show, in, including a couple of years ago when we uh, had an interview where he was begging Australians not to drink stone because at that stage it was only coming in as grey market uh, import, and you know he, he copped a lot of flack for those uh, comments because. The, the prevailing opinion was, I want it, I want to try it, I should be able to get it. Um, and once you, as a brewer, commit your product to the supply chain, you don't control it anymore. Um, from what you were saying, you know, you, you want to exert a little bit of control to make sure that um, it's not being overordered, that it's not just sitting around and that the stock's turning over. Where do you sit on that argument? You know, do you guys have an active role to play in your retailing chain to make sure that your beer is the representation, that the consumer is getting the beer that you want to see represented in the market? Oh, for sure, yeah. It, it, it might be the fact that you know, Jack and Red make the beer at the brewery and uh, package it up and it goes out that day, but we're very conscious of the journey it takes from A to B. Uh, and from B to C, and we're also, you know, we're really conscious of how, you know, Bloodhound treat our beer, or what other other bar or bottle shop. You know, I don't, I don't like seeing kegs sitting out in the sun. You know, we've gone to the trouble of, you know, delivering them refrigerated, and often you walk past a, a pub, not necessarily our kegs, but often you walk past a pub, and here's five or six kegs just sitting out in the sun, waiting to be bought inside. You know, it's not good for the beer, and uh, you know, we're conscious of talking to our distributors uh, with the Palais Imports uh, where they have the refrigerated warehouses uh, throughout the country uh, they, uh, we, we try and deliver refrigerated as much as we can um, and we talk to, we talk to the, the, the bottle shops and the pubs and say hey we, we're trying to do the right thing so you know, at least give, us, give our beers a little bit of respect as to how you treat it as well. Red, what do you see as the biggest challenge as the brewer to get your beer out uh, nationally? It's probably um, yeah, the, the quality style of things in the brewery is, um, is up to us. You know, we need to make sure that we're, we're doing our checks and we're, we're running our lab um, as best we can and doing our quality checks um, all along the way. Um, you know, it's, it's not much of a challenge to get raw ingredients in, make a beer, uh, make sure it's the, the quality it needs to be, um, pack it and send it. Um, it's, it's the next kind of few steps that you need to really kind of concentrate on. Um, and so, you know, we've got a good relationship with Pali Imports, um, so we can... Um, we can we can call them up five times a day and find out what batches are in which which warehouses, making sure that batches are turning over. Um, give them some some KPIs to make sure that um, their customers, you know, their their um, contracts. So it might be Fridge in South Australia or um, um, Paramount in, in Victoria, making sure that their stock is turning over. They're not holding old stock and sending out new stock. You know, it's got to make sure it's rotating through. So that. That's the kind of thing that, that, that we have influence over, but less control over. So, we, you know, in the brewery, we make sure we do what we can uh, to make sure the beer going out the door is uh, at, the, at the right quality and consistency, and then um, try and keep on top of um, the distribution side of it. So what's next from Pirate Life? We've heard about your three beers. They're being launched in Queensland. Any plans for, or have we started brewing the next beer? Uh, well, we have, we have a stout with us tonight. A 6.8% export stout. Um, the next single batch we put through, we're actually doing a collaboration with a winemaker from up in the Barossa Valley, Tom Foolery Wines. Um, ben Chipman's a relation of mine and quite a good mate of ours, and we spent a bit of time with him talking beer and drinking wines, and we thought we might as well put something together. So we have um, 10 of his Tempranillo barrels sitting in the brewery, ready to be filled, and his wine is actually named Berlin Negra, which is a very old pirate ship. So that's where the kind of it all swings in together. So we're uh, 
just tossing up and finalising some recipes, I think, yeah. to, of what we're going to brew with him. But it's going along the lines of a bit of a Saison-like being. Oh, but yeah, well, we're still just <laughs> <Black wheat lager>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's changed about three times in the last three days, I think. Um, and then come summertime, so well, back on that quickly, we'll put that away in barrel for four, six, eight months, um, and just see what happens with it and release that probably in nice champagne like bottles. Um, get a tattoo artist, local artist involved, do labels, and this will be an ongoing thing maybe once or twice a year with Chippy. Um, and come summertime, we're probably looking at a hoppy lager to bring out as a can, a summer can, and also um, an IPA. So we've just kind of fit between our American Pale Ale and our double IPA. Terrific. Well, you've got a bit of a crowd uh, building up outside, so I won't take up any more of your time. Welcome to Queensland. Thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News. Thanks very much. Cheers, Bye. mate. There you go, Prof. There, now, there should be something for James to, to pull out there. There are some interesting comments. I, I, I was fascinated that Michael's introduction to the beer world was as a restaurateur in San Diego where he was selling Australian beers as he's seeing and he ended up becoming the Cooper's rep um, for, for for the United States. So, um, And, and, in, a, and in a, a nice kind of, you know, um, circle of life kind of twist, he's ended up uh, with, a, with a brewery in the homeland of said Cooper's. Exactly, um, but yeah, a fascinating story. It brings in Brewdog, you know, uh, yep. I, 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 and you see a lot the whole of whole concept of a pirate life. You know, the pirate life for me, you know, you just can't help kind of it, like your arm kind of swings as if it's got a, a, a big foaming pewter pint in it, and you know, surrounded by comrades, and you know, with a common theme. I, I think it's a great concept. Mate, when you look at Jack and Red, you can see them with a bit of uh, Edward Teach, um, sometimes known as Blackbeard, Blackbeard you yeah. know, with, with the lip. Fuses in his hair, yeah. and yeah, scary drinking. Uh, you presumably know, not. Gun. Presumably not while they're, um, you know, over the mash tun stirring. No, no, no. Although would... I don't know, do they handcraft their beer, or you know, perhaps it's all done by, um, you know, like a, a rotating blade of some sort. I yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of automation there, but uh, <laughs> no, they're, they're certainly a, a great chat with those guys, and uh, yeah, really enjoying their beers. There was the dreaded. Uh, uh, as always happens, Prof, sometimes the best conversations take place once the microphone's not playing. Yep. Yeah, people are, people get funny as soon as you turn on a microphone, and we do try and make this podcast, um, you know, a, a conversation as opposed to an interview. But, uh, you know, there, there were some great chats, and uh, one of them um, was off air when we, I was sampling their um, session IPA. And uh, you know, <laughs> we had a bit of a chat about that. But, look, it's a, a very nice beer. They've been working on the balance because it was a little bit... Um, you know, aggressive on, on the hops and they've been working, I think Chris adding a little bit of Munich malt to um, sort of uh, bring the, the malt into balance a little bit more. But uh, it was a very nice beer. But again, you know, they, they've got an American style pale ale that's in the, I think the 5.4% range, um, they were saying. And, uh, you know, this one's a, a bit of a mid-strength. I, I don't know that we need to call everything an IPA these days, but uh, Stephen Beaumont's got some thoughts about that. So listeners, I direct you to his podcast. Episode 48, from memory. Gee, you got a good memory, Prof. I, I, yeah. I knew I had De you. Uh... Definitely, definitely. Yeah, episode 48. <laughs> yeah. Now, mate, the, uh, the, the other thing, and uh, we, we can't talk too much about this um, uh, intro too much because we haven't recorded the interview yet, but uh, tomorrow being Friday, um, the 17th, uh, Lion are releasing another new beer. It's another new pale ale. This one's coming out under the uh, Forex Gold brand. Um, 
you know, we, we, we've recently uh, done, written a big story about Fat Yak and the Matilda Bay and uh, talking to uh, Tim Avadia from CUB who, you know... Can we the, say good friend of the program now? I mean, look, I, I think we're good friends. Yeah, there, there's apparently... It's the rule of three. If you've, if you've like, you know, if you had somebody on, you know, like, as a guest three times, so including... Um, uh, what was the thing called? Bruin Transfer. That's the one. Bruin Transfer, so, yeah, yeah. So, he, so he's officially now Tim Avadia, friend of the program. He is a very nice guy. I had some very interesting uh, chats with him. Um, but, you know, on, on the, the interviews that I, um, that I recorded that made a story out of, um, hopefully we'll be able to sort of go through some of it on the, on the podcast. But he, he did make the point that, you know, there is a, you know, a limited market for highly hot beers. And it's, it, it has just come across um, with a rash of releases that from both of the big brewers that, you know, that they're increasingly uninterested in the pointy end of the beer market. They're, they're not, they don't want to go for the beer yeah. gigs. Um, CUB seems to be much less interested um, in that end of the market than Lion, which, you know, Lion's got the, you know, a couple of quite big beers through Little Creatures, um, and they're well set up to engage the market with not just the, the beers, but also, you know, to, to be part of the market. Um, CUB seems to have said, look, we, we don't, we'll, we'll keep Matilda Bay going, but we really don't want to sort of put too much effort into that end of the market. And, and, and that's fine. Um, you know, the, they're, they're big businesses. They want to go where the... Um, you know, the, the widest part of the market is, and it also leaves the, you know, that that fairly broad niche of um, craft beer to the two or three hundred other players um, who who we've seen come along. But yeah, the, 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 I'm I'm really interested to go along this afternoon and um, you know chat with Anthony Clem, who's the brewer. Um, really lovely guy. You know, he's he's worked at Napstein. He's you know he's worked in some of the bigger line breweries. Um, he's you know been around for quite a long time, and he's uh, I'll be chatting to him this afternoon while I try the Forex uh, Gold uh, Pale Ale. Um, you know, I've got a, a, there's so many words in it; it's just a little bit hard. I don't know how people are going to order it, but anyway, um, but yeah. So and it's it's being launched tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I, I have seen the media release already, which I don't think I'm breaking any embargoes by talking about it now because this won't come out until after the embargo so but the media release already um sort of refers to the you know long lines of in of forex gold enthusiasts who are you know who queued around the brewery so they're obviously very confident that there's going to be quite a bit of interest in, interest in the new beer but um how it differs from the darling pale ale i don't know we'll we'll see this afternoon but uh anyway um i this afternoon i'm uh, catching up with anthony clem so uh lucky we might put that in now and yes i'm joined now by anthony clem who is the quality brewer at the forex brewery in milton anthony welcome to radio brews news thanks matt mate we've uh, chatted uh, you know, regularly before we've judged at the uh, royal queensland beer competition before this is the first time you've uh, been on radio brews news and you're probably not a household name um you know, in amongst our audience so maybe we can start by telling us a little bit about your career as a brewer and uh, how you've come to to this position at the uh, forex brewery I've, uh, I've probably spent uh, upwards of 12 years in the brewing industry now, Matt, and I guess I started out at Lion uh, in the lab and then worked towards a brewing role at Lion. Um, I then went off to, uh, I did a, well, before taking on a brewing role out at uh, Napstein, we're running a little microbrewery out there. I was a brewing team leader here at Forex, so uh, I then 
spent a couple of years out at Napstein brewing some tasty beer out there and then uh, actually took a role and opportunity to, to go and be involved in the, in the start-up of a, a new brewery in central New South Wales with a uh, joint venture between, between Casella and uh, Coca-Cola. Uh, after that, um, I actually managed to get another opportunity back at, back at Forex, so it's, it's a big full circle for me. Uh, but I've had some great opportunities within my career and uh, Lion have been really good to me and you know, it's, it's great to be back and I was lucky enough to be involved in the, in the set up and start up and commissioning of the, of the Squire Brew House in at South Brisbane there so that's been a lot of fun and uh, I'm now you know, in a quality brewer role here at, in, the, in the brewing team so uh, lots going on and lots of interesting things to, to get my head around so it's been fun. It did. You know, w w with the growth of craft brewing, everyone sort of looks at the hands-on, you know, what they describe as hands-on and uh, all of those aspects of uh, being in a small brewery. But it, there are certainly great pro uh, career progressions when you're working your way through a, a large company. But they, they all involve brewing, don't you? Don't, don't, uh, don't they? Not just commissioning breweries as you've done with the James Squire Brewery in Brisbane, but, you know, working at Napstein must have been very hands-on uh, for a brewer. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic opportunity, actually, because, I mean, in the bigger breweries, you, you get, you know, you, there's a lot more people involved and uh, there's less opportunity for the hands-on type roles. So, you know, although I you know, had a reasonable understanding of the of the uh, theory of brewing from my um, studies, uh, it's it's still not easy to get hands-on operational type uh, uh, experience when you're in a big brewery. So, having the opportunity to work at Having the opportunity to work at uh, at Napstein and and later on at uh, Casella was absolutely brilliant because it was very much back to basics, and uh, you know, allows you to put all that theory that you've learnt uh, into practice and really uh, engage uh, with what you're doing a little bit more. So it's been fantastic in that respect. And then I mean the, the Napstein Lager is, is still one of Australia's great lagers. Um, it, it was a beer that you know even before I think craft beer was a was a thing it was a term that we were used it was you know one of the most uh, characterful and flavoursome lagers that were going around in australia it must have been an interesting process to go from uh, a brewery such as forex and then brew down at napstein yeah very very much so it was uh, a, a massive contrast i guess we I went from looking after a thousand hectolitre brew house to a, a 15 hectolitre brew house so uh, obviously very different process as well, um, very much different kit, uh, all pretty much hands-on so I was involved in the entire process at Napstein uh, from brew house to filtration to even running the packaging line which I never really had that much exposure to at, at Forex. So uh, fantastic opportunity in that respect and gives you a, a real holistic approach to, to brewing as well. That, um, you get you tend to get a little bit siloed and and uh, and probably focused on one part of the one part of the process when you're working in a bigger bigger brewery. But uh, when you've got that opportunity, it gives you a, an all-rounded sort of approach, um, which helps me in my current role. So you know, we look at um, you know I look at optimising specifications and brews and you know emulating new products and all of those things, and having you know, been involved hands-on 
and experiencing those sort of things from NPD at, at previous roles uh, certainly helps you um, move forward and think of all the things that could catch you out when you when you're brewing at this scale. Now we're sitting here in the uh, Forex brew house uh, at Milton on the uh, eve of a, a big announcement from Line. Uh, we we're about to see a new uh, brand extension or a line extension under the uh, Forex Gold uh, brand. Um, a, a pale ale. Maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about uh, the, the new beer. Yeah, so Forex Gold Australian Pale Ale, uh, new and exciting uh, beer that we've got, uh, about to be launched very shortly, obviously, and. Uh, I think it's a great new extension of, um, of Forex Gold Australian Lager. So it's a, it's a mid-strength product uh, and, and it's an ale. So we've used ale yeast and we've used some uh, interesting malts. So it's got some, uh, it's got some good body, but still only a mid-strength um, product. So very much a drinkable, a drinkable beer. And it's got some Amarillo hops in it as well. So they've been added late in the process to give you that lovely aroma uh, up front and uh, it has a sort of nice clean uh, bitterness finish as well so uh, really balances out quite well. Now I'm lucky enough to be sitting here with a, a glass of it, a, a preview glass uh, of it. It's certainly, you know, it, it, it's for any, any of our listeners uh, who you know, love a double IPA, it's probably not going to uh, overwhelm them. But it is a step up from the classic uh, Forex Gold. It's got a little bit more body. We're getting a little bit more roundness, a little bit more mouthfeel. Um, tell us a little bit about the, the brewing process. It's got a blend of malts. Yeah, so we've used uh, we've used a blend of malts. So pale, pale malts, uh, a little bit of Munich helps with the body and uh, adds some sort of biscuity character that Munich adds. Uh, then we've used uh, some wheat malt, uh, which you know, adds to the, the head and, you know, probably takes away from that real multi character but um, still adds that body uh, to, the, to the product and I think the the hops is, is probably something that really stands out in this beer so it's probably something a little bit different from Forex Gold. How so? Because if, uh, Forex Gold uh, uses uh, ISO hops, um, but can tell us a little bit about the, the, the hop usage in the Forex Gold Lager as opposed to the uh, Pale Ale. Yeah, so the Pale Ale, the, the predominant hop in there is Amarillo hops. It's added very late in the process, uh, so it doesn't give an overwhelming bitterness like a double IPA, uh, but it still gives you that uh, well-balanced bitterness. But added with that, it's... Uh, it's got a lovely aroma. I, I guess that's probably what the distinctive different difference between the lager and the, the APA. So the lager is hopped early, uh, so the hop character is not as dominant, um, whereas with the, the pale ale, we hop it very late in the whirlpool and uh, that aroma hop remains in the product and uh, it is, you know, as you can tell, it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic, aroma in the beer when you first put your nose to it that's for sure again it's one of those funny things it's probably all a little bit relative if you're talking about aroma for a beer like a classic um, Australian craft beer such as uh, Pacific Ale from Stone and Wood you know it, it's, not, it's not bursting with passion fruit but it is certainly a step up from the, the mainstream lagers that we've, we've come to expect from a lot of the big brewers 
Yeah, I don't, it's certainly not, uh, as you mentioned, it's not like you know, one of the big American pale ales where you've got you know, overwhelming hop characters up front and you, know, you get that real oily, uh, you know, dominant hop um, flavour and character in the beer. You know, we want it to be a little bit more subtle. It, it needs to be you know, drinkable and, um, and uh, you know, not too heavy on the palate. You want to be able to have a, enjoy a couple of beers with with your friends and family, rather than um, you know just have one and decide you want to move on to something else. So uh, that, that's where we headed. So that's the Australian sort of take on the pale ale, I suppose. Now I will get cards and letters, or I'll get uh, complaining emails if I don't uh, raise the question. It's an Australian pale ale, and yet you've used an American-derived hop. Talk us through that. So I, I guess. Uh, the American, the American hop was is probably an interesting one, as you say, the Australian pale ale. Uh, Amarillo hops is is a lovely hop, I guess, and that's it. it just sort of worked well uh, with the with the formulation, with the recipe. So, it gives you that lovely sort of passion fruit, citrusy uh, character, without being uh, too dominant. And it, I guess it, it was just the balance that worked, rather than uh, we specifically went out to choose Australian. Australian hop style, so it was, it was more balance and uh, circumstance than, than anything I'd, su- I'd suggest. So you, you can have an Australian pale ale with uh, imported hops, it's not, uh, I, I don't want to get into the whole um, Pacific Ale uh, trademark dispute or anything like that, but you can have a, uh, a, an Australian pale ale that doesn't use Australian hops. Oh, we probably should be talking to Mr Chuck Hart about this as well, we, the, the American who's, who's probably one of the biggest Australian advocates of cra- Australian craft beer. So. I think uh, it, you know variety is the spice of life, and we've probably um, I think we've chosen this this hop you know to ensure that we've got a lovely, well-balanced product more than uh, you know we've specifically gone out to choose Australian ingredients. All the other all the other malts in the in the beer are, are all Australian sourced. Um, yeah, it's just a circumstantial thing, I suggest. Yeah. The last time I was here for a beer launch was for Summer Bright Lager, which is a very different uh, beer under the Forex uh, brand. Um, much lighter, I think they call it a contemporary, um, contemporary style beer. Would you, you know, I do hate the term craft beer, but you know, we're starting to see some of the big beers, the, the, the big brewery, breweries bring out beers that are um, taking styles that are you know, leaning towards the, the, the craft beer style. So. From summer bright to uh, pale ale, we're stepping up a little bit in flavour. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, you've used step up. That's probably what what the addition is. So, uh, you know, the Australian drinkers becoming more and more educated about what's what's out there, and uh, and you know, there's more and more craft brands that are coming on the market. Uh, they're offering something different to the the consumer, and I think that's what. Uh, we're trying to offer here with the, the Forex Gold Australian Pala. So it's not, um, you know, it's got that little bit extra flavour, uh, a little bit of extra interest in it, and, it, you know, it's a bit of a step up. So it's a little bit of diversity compared to, um, you know, your summer bright lager styles. So. It, it, you know, I'm sitting here uh, enjoying it, just sort of uh, digesting it as I go. But it, it does have a little—it's a little bit more rounded than the very crisp um, Forex Gold Lager. 
It's got a little bit more, you know, it, it's got a nicely balanced bitterness, but it's, it's still a, a lightish bodied beer. Where, where are we sitting AB, uh, IBU-wise? Yeah, so it's a little bit more bitter than, than Forest Gold Australian Lager, but uh, it's not excessive. So, you know, it's still under the 20, 20 BU mark. Uh, and I think that's probably where, you know, that's probably a good balance given the body that it is a mid-strength beer. Uh, as you go higher and higher in bitterness, you, you reduce your balance of your, of your beer, and I think that's where, you know, where the balance is. And I was uh, chatting to uh, Bill Taylor, who the um, you know, former head brewer for, for, for Lion um, a, a week or so ago, and talking about the development of the Forex Gold Lager, and you know, it, it was a new style, that, that mid-strength, um, when it was developed in 1990. What are the challenges of getting flavour into a beer like this? But still in that sub four uh, percent ABV. Yeah, so it, I mean, it is a challenge. Uh, mid-strength beers, you know, they can be they can be quite difficult to to brew and produce in a in a manner that has you know lots and lots of body. Uh, by nature, you know, alcohol gives you body and mouthfeel. So when you reduce the the alcohol level. You need to uh, complement that that beer with some other uh, with some other characters to add body, and you know I think we have done that with you know the combination of the of the late hopping, uh, the you know it's it's relatively all malt. There is a little bit of sugar involved, but um, you know that's to add to the the drinkability of it. So. I think the combination of malts and, and the late hopping you know, is really what's provided the body to this product. So, uh, yeah, that's always a challenge when you're producing low alcohol beers. But I think, it, I think you know, the ale yeast also adds an element as well. So it's got some estuary character and, as you say, it just rounds it out a little bit more. So I think that's, that's certainly helped as well. And, and as a technical brewer, I mean, Forex Gold is and we would probably need to speak to someone for marketing, but depending on which survey it is, is the biggest selling beer in Australia still, I think? I think it's, uh, you guys have still got the title over for, uh, over VB? Yeah, my understanding it is it's still the biggest selling beer in Australia, so. And so a, a, a beer that is so fiercely, uh, you know, Queensland oriented and um, you know, proudly uh, Queensland, but it, it, it's brewed in Sydney as well um, to, to keep it fresh down there. How hard is it to, to brew a beer like this consistently between you know, two or three different uh, you know, facilities? Yeah, obviously each, each facility has its different nuances and uh, it, that's why we work together as brewers to, to talk about those things and adjust. So uh, you know, once you start working in a brewery for any length of time, you start to understand you know, where your strengths and weaknesses are and you know you adjust accordingly to make sure that everything's everything lines up i mean we also do you know panel tastings where we're tasting each other's brands as well so uh, you know i think the the wealth of knowledge and the understanding of our of our brew brewing kit is is what ensures that we 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 keep consistent to the style and again, this may not be a question for a brewer, but you know, as somebody who's involved in product development and as a beer drinker yourself, do you think that we will ever see you know Forex bring out a, an American style pale ale? Or um, I, I spoke to Tim Avardia from CUB recently, and he 
uh, when it, they announced Lazy Yak, um, which was the little brother to, to Fat Yak, he basically said, you know, th there's you know, a very limited market for you know, big hopped beers and we're not going to see you know, a huge growth in that area. Um, are we going to see more beers uh, over the next few years developing around you know, this uh, flavour point, um, do you think? Or do you think we will see uh, beer drinkers start to creep up into even bigger flavours than uh, the Forex Gold Australian Pale Ale? Look, you're probably right. It is, it is a, more of a question for our marketing department. Uh, however, in my opinion, like I think anything's possible. I mean, as we've already seen, the, the craft beer market in Australia is starting to really uh, take off. And uh, you know, consumers are expecting some diverse flavours and more uh, experience within their, you know, uh, in their palate. So you know, anything's possible. I don't think we'll ever see you know, massive brands, uh, massive, sorry, um, massive beers with, you know, uh, double opt IPAs, etc., like that coming out of, out of Forex, but you never know. How, how different is this beer, and looking at the craft range, how different is a beer such as the Forex Gold Australian Pale Ale and, you know, perhaps a James Squire uh, Golden Ale, you know, which is probably not vastly different in terms of flavour profile, but how, how different are they technically? Well, yeah, it's probably um, technically they're not vastly different. So, you know, we're using similar processes, similar raw materials. Uh, it's, you know, it's probably recipe driven more than anything. Uh, we certainly have the capability at Forex to brew any styles of beer. Uh, it's just that when you do brew them, they are very big batches. So, hundred thousand litre batches at a go. So you know, the brand needs to be very large in order for us to be to be brewing them here at Forex. So uh, you know, technically, there's not a great deal of difference between you know, golden ale styles versus the uh, the Australian pale ale. Uh, you know, we're we're trying to uh, hit hit a brief, I guess, and and really come up with a product that we think is is drinkable but has a little bit more flavour and a little bit more interest for the consumer. Last question before I let you go, uh, food match, um, what would you, uh, um, Bill Taylor was always a big fan of uh, beer and food matching, Chuck Hahn is, what would you be uh, eating with this, uh, w w with the new beer? Look I think it's a really occasional uh, style of product, um, we have you know, Forex Gold goes with a lot of things. I think Forex Gold Australian Pale Ale, uh, certainly sitting around the barbie with a few mates, uh, having a having a nice steak and and uh, enjoying it, um, you know, with a few friends is probably the way to go. Company not it matters less what's on the plate. That's right. Anthony Clem, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News. All right, cheers, cheers, Matt. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible.
There you go, Prof. Not much we can say about that, really. Um, do you have any thoughts? I, I, I introed that by talking about, you know, the, where the wide part of the beer market is. What, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one, I think, because pale ale as a concept, obviously, it's probably the it's probably the biggest style. I remember, I think it was three editions ago, the third edition of the Critics' Choice, we included a, a, a style guide to pale ale. Or it might have even been the second one, um, and and just sort of even just doing a, a bit of cursory research, I found that it's really you've got everything from sort of say your James Squire 150 lashes through to Feral Hop Hog, and then in between you've got Cooper's Green Label Pale Ale. You've got there's just so many different beers beers that can be called a pale ale. So I think in one way it's kind of it's kind of safe. It's also I think it's the pointy edge of the wedge that's 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 um, mainstream's attempt to get into craft so i think it's a natural a natural kind of thing i, I think outside of the uh if you like the good beer circle i don't think there's as much understanding of the concept of a golden ale or a summer ale um the crown obviously has gone for golden ale they could have just as easily have called that a pale ale i guess uh, absolutely and it was interesting now we we do need to apologize listeners we missed last week the first uh one that we've missed in a while. There were a few technical difficulties. We've been trying to uh, hook up an interview with um, Janet Hollyoak from Red Oak in Sydney, have a bit of a chat, and that was proving a little bit difficult. Then we were also catching up with Dave Golding um, from Red Hill to talk about their 10th anniversary, and he was on the road and trying to get a good connection that the sound quality was what you've come to expect from Pete Mitchum's microphone. Um, and he also had a flu. So those things just conspired against us. But <clears throat> when we did start to talk, uh, it was interesting that, when he released the Red Hill Golden Ale, it was a Kolsch. He was he, he was bringing it out as a Kolsch. Always has been a Kolsch, but they've never called it a Kolsch because ten no years ago, what a Kolsch was. Yeah. yeah. What do you mean? And and, and and that's where you know, going back to our diatribe at the very start of the the, the show. You know, anyone who thinks that craft beer is just about the beer and not about the label or the name or the marketing or the brand, you, you, you're just kidding yourself. So all of these things matter, and you know. People, I, I, I sense there's a real anger when you see something like Forex Gold bring out a beer like that, um, or Tui's or Crown Lager, that it's almost like the craft beer people feel personally slighted that it's a beer that they don't like and that, you know, they're dumbing down the pale ale style or something. But as you identified, Prof, Prof uh, pale ale's covered this enormous, it, it, it's almost a description of a you know a, a range of beers. It's almost it, like it, saying... It, it's almost like saying there's lagers, there's ales, and there's pales. Like it's almost um, become a subset. Well, it, it's a I subset think it, of in, in terms of the, the the general public perception. Well, but it's a little bit like saying you know a sedan over a hatchback. Uh, you know, hatchbacks come in all shapes and sizes, and it's different for these reasons. You're basically just describing this one feature of it. Yes. Um, as opposed to sort of saying it's a sporty hatchback or it's an Audi or or, or whatever it is. You're just sort of basically giving it a Subclassification under the ale style, um, but it, it, you, who, you get who do you think it's who, who's it targeted at? Is it going to be? Are they just going to cannibalise their own market? And and Forex Gold fans will say, "Oh, actually, I was getting a bit tired of Forex Gold. I'll jump to Forex Gold Pale." Or is it people who are because presumably they're not aiming at getting people who are drinking Hop Hog at the moment to go. Actually, I prefer a Forex Gold Pale Ale. Um, or is it people who are uh, over beer and are drinking Canadian Club and Dry, or is it people who are drinking? I don't know. You know, is, 
is it price point? Is it um, just market reach in terms of their distribution and logistics and that sort of thing? How how does it work? Who's it aimed at? Look, I I had a chat with um, the uh, head of brands at at Line, um, the the Darling Pale Ale, and each of their brands is skewed at a different market. Forex Gold is very much the you know thirty to thirty five and over. Uh, married man, couple of kids, and that was what the whole Forex Island and their advertising. It's all about you know blokes finding some you know who have got wives and families and responsibilities, getting away from those things and you know having some time to themselves. Um, so the fact that they brought this beer out um, as a mid strength under Forex and under the Forex Gold label shows that that's who they're going for. But I guess that they're I, I read it that they're not trying to bring new people. To beer, so it's not a beer that's going to sort of. If you said, you know, I've tried beers and I don't like them, it's not going to bring anyone to category. But as people become more experiential, as they, you know, are looking um, at, at trying new things, um, they don't want them, you know, moving out of the forex gold family. It, it gives them something that, you know, as has the style cues of being more contemporary, and you know, the the, the flavour isn't going to be. Dramatically different from Forex Gold, I'm willing to bet. Um, the Tui's brothers' Darling Pale Ale wasn't dramatically different from, um, you know, a, a lager, a little bit more body, a um, little bit more fragrant. Um, somebody who drinks mainstream lagers will, will notice that there is a bit more going on, but it's anyone who drinks Hop Hog isn't going to. So, look, I, I think it's making a little bit of a walled garden around that brand so they can keep people who are becoming portfolio drinkers within the you know, lion group of brands because they're forex people, and uh, you know yeah. that, 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 that's why they invest so much money in building brands and targeting a particular subset to, you know, make people identify with the brand, and it becomes you know like, you know, a, a Remington razor or a you know a, a particular loaf of bread or a particular brand of coffee that it, it, you can trust it, yeah, and yeah. and it makes you feel comfortable. So yeah, it, it's just not going to bring anyone to category, which. That's the, the the one thing that I you know, this isn't for beer geeks. This isn't the sort of beer that I'm probably going to go to. Um, I'm very grateful that there are you know better beers that are going to be more widely available. You know, if, if your choice was Forex Gold, um, you know, I'm presuming that you know, actually I, I shouldn't preempt anything. I don't know whether it's it uses a blend of malts. It, the media release was silent about sugar. Um, we'll find all you know, by now when you listen to this, listeners, you will know all of the uh, technical details of the beer. Um, that Pete and I don't know. But look, it puts a focus back on beer and what's on the bottle as much as the brand. And for a long time, there was nothing to say about, you know, beer apart from, you know, less carbs or chill filtered or, you know, new wide mouth can. That was about all there was to say. And, you know, profits, it's it's probably not brewed for us, but it's it's still a little bit of excitement for the category. And, you know, the, the brewers are taking it very seriously. Yeah, exactly. And um, yep, watch this space. I gave a letter to the postman He put it in his sack Bright and early next morning He brought my letter back Now, very quickly, uh, not too much in the mailbag today because we didn't have an episode last week. Um, We did have a very nice email from Craig Whelans, who's the brewer at Thirsty Crow at Wagga Wagga. AIBA Trophy Award-winning brewery. Yes, of course. Nice, nicely done there, Prof. And uh, yeah, and he said, uh, "Hi, Matt. We've never really met. Just wanted to pass on 
that I've recently listened to two of your podcasts, the ones with Ben Krause and Richard uh, W. Richard Watkins. Oh, Watkins. So, of course, yes. Uh, and found them to be great discussions to listen to. Really great work with Pete that you have going on and will definitely start listening more often. Uh, thank you very much for that, Craig. And I'm definitely keen to get down to Wagga Wagga and uh, to visit the brewery and uh, try a few things. So, uh, so we consider that a, uh, an email request for uh, an interview. I, I, I don't think he was uh, doing that, but I definitely will uh, get in touch with him and uh, have, a, have a bit of a chat. So he's, a, he's, he's a top listen. bloke and tells the story well. Exactly. Uh, the only other bit of feedback that I wanted to do is on Facebook. Um, comment on Facebook. We had the chat with um, Ben Krause last week. Long, wide-ranging chat. And as Pete uh, mentioned, you know James Atkinson uh, goes through the podcast and then pulls out a story um, from it. Um, now, needless to say, he chooses the most interesting part of the podcast, not the least interesting because you wouldn't bother doing it otherwise. And that was where... Um, Ben was talking about you know more scrutiny around labelling, um, which is something that we've been looking at. Um, ben, you know, was, I, I got the sense that uh, you know Ben weighed into Facebook and said, "Please listen to the podcast if I don't put you to sleep," as it is definitely wasn't the main theme of the discussion. <laughs> so, uh, as, as always happens when you're doing journalism, you pull out the you know most interesting part of it, and sometimes that takes it out of the con- you know makes it look like that's what you're talking about. But um, Darren Doc Robinson, who's another um, you know great friend of the program, uh, you know, great friend of ours and a, and a terrific brewer, um, posted a photo of his label on the bottle. Um, we've seen you know some pop up where Mountain Goat are putting you know brewed off site at, and uh, others are you know brewed uh, you know by and for at. And uh, Doc's uh, you know in the terms of full disclosure. Uh, Doctor's Orders Brewing is affectionately referred to as a cuckoo brewer. The analogy with a cuckoo is that we don't have our own brewery, brackets, cuckoos take over other birds' nests to lay their eggs. We tend to, in brackets, we tend to take over our mates' breweries to personally produce our beer. We're all about interesting, thought-provoking and inspirational beer. We often base our beer on emerging historical and or rare styles that usually come with a twist released seasonally. So, you know, certainly no hiding there. Um, you know exactly what it is, but that's one of those, those um, things, Prof, where, you know, this is what we are and we're using that to be part of our marketing. So it's full disclosure, but it's full marketing yep. and, you know, it's full disclosure to enhance their brand. And look, part of our job too is obviously to start the conversation. So it's to shine a light on here's a here's a, a topic that's, that we think is interesting and relevant. What do you think? Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, I, I call that the... Um, uh, the, the 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 full shave. Where when you look at the corporate comb over <laughs> d- d- discussion that I think uh, Jamie Cook um, from Stone and Wood when came up with that title when we were uh, looking at the Byron Bay Pale Lager, um, Jamie Cook said, "Yeah, there's a thing called the corporate comb over," and that was a really powerful analogy to me because you know you see people who are going bald. Some people just crop it crop it closely so you you know they've got the bald pate, but the the rest of the hair is just there and quite. This, natural. this is how I intended to be. Yeah, yeah. This is how I want to look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, this is how it is. Um, some people sort of grow one side long and comb it over and try and camouflage the, the fact that they're going bald. And they then try you to always the... walk on the windward side of the street rather than <laughs> yes. the leeward side. And then you get the hendos that go, bugger it, I'm bald, and shave it off and polish it up and, uh, you know, say, I'm bald, baby. And uh, that that's uh, what Doc Robinson's done there, uh, Darren Doc Robinson's done there. So, uh, yeah, no, Doc, thank you very much. And we might get Doc on the uh, the, on the podcast. Have we? I don't think we ever have. So technically not a good friend of the program because he hasn't been on three times. No, he hasn't been, but he's a, he's a friend of ours. And uh, look, I, I, I almost wonder whether he might be one of the guys that we did an interview with and it just never 
got off the cutting room floor or never sort of made it out of the um, vault. So we, we certainly do need to have a chat to Doc because a great guy, um, fascinating guy to, to, to have a chat to. And don't forget, listeners, if you do have somebody that you would love us to talk to, let us know. Keep those cards and letters coming. Return the sender. Return the sender. I gave a letter to the postman. He put it in his sack. Bright and early next morning, he brought my letter back. Listeners, that's that's it for the show. Uh, always good uh, to be there. Please do let us know if you, there's a someone, as Prof's just said, if there's someone you want to hear from, if you've got a topic or a story lead, please do get in touch. Uh, just give us some feedback. Um, we've got some great uh, feedback. Actually, I will just throw one more, um, a very belated feedback. It was on uh, Twitter. Nick Decker, who's been a regular correspondent of late. Um, now, I don't know how this quite came about, but at about 10 o'clock this morning, no, it was a, actually it was even earlier than that. It was about, it would have been about 8.30 this morning. He... Uh, tweeted and said, CUB have unfortunately missed the mark with Lazy Yak. The taste is bland at best. And he sent us a photo and I did respond and ask him uh, whether that was beer for breakfast. And he said, no, he had a, de- it was a delayed tweet. So uh, it, it was one that he tried last night, but he only tweeted this morning. And uh, so Nick, uh, yeah, Nick, who is, let's see, Nick Decker is at Nick Rekt. So N-I-C-K-R-E-K-K-E-D, if anyone wants to follow Nick Decker. Um, thank you, Nick. Uh, yeah, so look, as, as we said a little bit earlier, probably not brewed for people who love their um, big beers. But anyways, thank you for, uh, for your comment. So if, if you want to leave a comment like Nick, uh, we are at Good Beer Matt or at Beer Blokes uh, or at Good Osbrews uh, News. Um, you can get us on Facebook. Um, and you can also, if you'd like to hear your dulcet tones, on the podcast, you can phone us and leave a message on Skype on 07-3040-1508. That number again, 07-3040-1508. Leave a, a message and Pete and I will play it. And uh, yeah, look, if, if you want to sort of tell us off, uh, you're more than welcome to do that. Or if you want to say uh, that you love the show, um, we'd encourage that as well. Um, help other people find the show. Jump on iTunes, leave some hopefully positive feedback. Um, leave your star rating, and uh, it'd be great if you could leave some feedback. We, I think we've got four and a half stars there, Prof. Um, we're based on, I think, 18 or 19 reviews. Um, we did get a good burst of comments on iTunes when we first started, but then there was a whole not regular, so people didn't seem, you know, could get off their ass to um, jump online. But if you are one of our now regular listeners, jump online and help other people find it by leaving some, uh, you know, feedback. And it, it's also stuff that we do listen to. I, know, I hope you've uh, noticed uh, an improvement in the show um, based on your feedback. But anyway, that's it for the show. So we might strike up the band. And Prof, always good to chat. What are you up to this weekend? Anything exciting? Prepping for Ecker. Prepping for Ecker. You're going to be in Brisbane with me uh, very soon. So hopefully we'll be able to get some uh, nice chats out there. And I'm doing Regional Flavours, which is uh, South Bank, which is Brisbane's iconic parklands. Have a two-day festival of food and fun and... Uh, I, uh, one of my favourite times of the year because they, unlike a lot of beer festivals who go for the dollar over the, you know, the the engagement or the, the you know the um, integrity of what they're trying to do, regional flavours um, have made a commitment to working with small local brewers, uh, which is really exciting. So I'm hosting the hunting club stage and working with uh, four great Australian craft brewers: um, Beryl, 
Stone and Wood Green Beacon from Brisbane and uh, Four Hearts. And uh, their carrot saison has been getting lots of attention. So, um, yeah, so that, that's my weekend plan. So, listeners, thank you for joining us for our little podcast. We will see you next week. And, uh, Lockie, as always, strike up the band. And we're out.